a mother barely twenty out there on her own, a teenage boy in prison before he's even grown, the illness of a loved one, a widow no one calls, but there is one solution, an answer for it all, there is power in the name of Jesus, there is hope, there is strength, and victory to claim, there is healing in His holy presence, there is power in His name. A nation needing mercy, fighting for her life, a church that needs revival, a broken man and wife. But in the name of Jesus, chains of bondage fall. Prayers are heard and answered when God's children call. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is hope, there is strength, and victory to claim. There is healing in His holy presence. There is power in His name. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is hope, there is strength, and victory to claim. There is healing in His holy presence. There is power in His name. There is power in His name. That's a good song to end things with. It's, uh period of time here in the church, and uh, well, I'll tell you what, without his power, we'd have been in a mess, wouldn't we? Yeah. Well, let me go ahead and tell you, I want to share this with you, because this was shared with me this morning, and I, I just, just happened to pop up at the, in the class, and uh, one of the singles found this and shared it this morning, and I thought maybe it was something that would be a blessing and a help to you and I. He says there was a funeral service being held in a church for a woman who had just passed away. At the end of the service, uh, the pallbearers uh, carrying the casket, they accidentally bumped into a wall, jarring the casket. To their amazement, they, they hear a faint moan. I mean, coming from inside the casket, and they, they open the casket to find the woman's actually still alive. She lives for ten more years before she finally dies. A ceremony again is held at the same church, and at the, end of the, at the end of the service, the pallbearers once again take the casket. They begin to carry it out. And as they're walking, the husband cries out and says, Watch out for the walls! 
<laughs> okay. Now, I, I, we're still trying to figure out, honestly. My wife and I are trying to figure out how the singles thought that was funny. You know, what single guy even has a clue, right? No, I'm, oh boy. Digging a hole now, aren't I? Take your Bible, look over the book of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. We're going to move quickly today, but I just want to share a simple thought with you uh, this morning, and I hope it will be a help to you, a blessing. As we depart from here and move on, we need to understand and realize that the battle still rages. It's not over. It's still on. It's, there's still a battle out there. And that's why we're leaving here and going to another location. That's why we've invested all the energy and all the time and all the money into the project because there's a battle that still rages. That's why we've done it all. We didn't do it just so we could be a little more comfortable, so we have a little more elbow room. We didn't do it just because we want to be able to maybe say we have a big building. We didn't do it for that reason. We did it because the battle still rages. There are still souls dying and going to hell. There's still families that need reclaimed. There's still marriages that need to be restored. There's still people that are in need of Jesus Christ. The battle still rages. That's why we're doing what we're doing. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, we read, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Take your Bible, look at John chapter 10, verse 10, please. John chapter 10, verse 10. In that particular passage, we read John chapter 10, verse 10. I better get over there myself. He says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Notice again, the Lord says, The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. He's talking about none other than Satan himself. The very Satan that we just read about in 1 Peter 5.10, that's Satan. You know, battles and fights and warfare has been part of humanity from the beginning of time. In an article found in Today in the Word, it was said that since 3600 B.C., the world has known only 292 years of peace. During this period, there have been 14,351 wars. And mind you, if I could tell you this, those stats are based on 1992 and before. So think about how many more wars, how many more conflicts we've had since then. But nonetheless, it says that in, during that period of time, that, uh, that, that 3,600 years, 14,351 wars, large and small, have, have, have taken place in which 3.64 billion people have been killed. The value of the property destroyed is equal to a golden belt around the world, 97.2 miles wide and 33 feet thick. 
<laughs> That's pretty thick. Since 650 B.C., there have, been also, there have also been 1,656 arms races, only 16 of which have not ended in war. The remainder, it says, ended in the economic collapse of the countries involved. All I want you to understand and all I want us to wrap our mind around is, is that there is a battle raging. There is a warfare that takes place on this earth, but there's also a spiritual battle and a spiritual warfare that has continued since the beginning of the universe. This morning, I want to just, again, speak on the subject, the battle still raging. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, you'd bless us this morning. We need your presence and we need your power today. Thank you for each and every one of these that has gathered, Father, to hear from you, to receive manna from heaven. Lord, we want to be better for you. Father, help us, Lord, to learn and then, Father, to live exactly what you share with us in your word. May we be more like Jesus. And may we live our lives in a way that will bring honor and glory to you. We'll love you and thank you for it. And Lord, if for some reason, if there is someone here that has yet to receive and accept the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, may they, Father, truly recognize their great need of him, for he is truly the way, the truth, and the life. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, I consider the sudden downfall. As we look at history, as we consider even eternity, we look and consider the sudden downfall. Where did it all begin? How did all this come into, to, to, how did all this come to pass? I mean, why is it that we're so bent on warfare? Why is it that we're constantly at each other's throats? Why is it we just can't live together in peace? Well, we're going to find that the God of this world, Satan, began it all. And he is very content and very happy and even celebrates warfare. Look, if you would, in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 28. Ezekiel, chapter 28, beginning in verse 11. We see the heavenly unity that existed early on in the creation. I mean, a unity that would be something that we would all just enjoy in our homes, a unity that we would enjoy in our, our churches, a unity that would be enjoyed in the workplace. But we see it was in heaven at one point, tremendous unity. Notice Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 11 through 15. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. Before we go any further, notice again, he's a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Obviously, this is more than just a mere earthly king. We're dealing here with literally Lucifer. You would know him maybe as the devil or Satan. But notice again as he goes on and understand this is referring to him uh, directly here in the passage. He says, verse 13, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, uh, sardius, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the yonks, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy taprets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity found, was found in thee. 
Notice in verse 17. He goes on to say, Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. For everything was going well in heaven. The devil, the Bible tells us, who was named Lucifer at that time, was the anointed cherub that covereth. That means that basically he was an, he was an, he was an angelic being. He was a created being. And he was created for the very purpose of honoring God and protecting the throne of God. But instead of doing his job, he sought to usurp the throne of God. He sought to stand in God's stead. He desired to take God's place. He wanted to be God. He wasn't content to serve God. The Bible makes it clear that he was the most wonderful creature that God had created. But his sin, the Bible says, his sin of pride drove him to rebellion. Look in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. We see here the downfall of this Lucifer. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. We'll read through verse 15. The Bible says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell. To the sides of the pit. You know that nothing would ever be the same after the rebellion of Satan. It would all be different. We look at a world today that is in turmoil and trouble and we ask ourselves so many questions about why God, why would you permit this to happen? Why would you permit that to happen? Why this tragedy and why this atrocity? I'll tell you why. All because of his rebellion. His pride. His arrogance. So, well, didn't God big enough? Let me just say this, if I could, and if I could make it as simple as possible. If God gave us what we deserve this very moment, not one of us would be sitting here. We'd be burning in a devil's hell. So we thank God for grace that permits sin to continue for a period of time until finally it will be addressed and dealt with, as we'll note in our study. Someone says, well, I don't agree. I don't understand why God didn't wipe that guy out. Why he didn't deal with those people. Why he doesn't... Well, we better be glad in one sense that he's long-suffering because if he wasn't, he wouldn't deal with us either. But it all begins with this, the culprit being Satan, Lucifer, who was prideful and arrogant. And we see right off the bat that this heavenly unity is now disrupted. And instead we see the hostile uprising that takes place. Turn, if you would, to Revelation 12, 4. The peace and the unity that has existed was drowned with the cry of battle now. And the devil, he leads a revolt against God. He leads a revolt against the throne of God. But the problem is, is that just like every rebel, they're not content to rebel alone. They want to take others with them. And in this particular case, he convinced others to follow him. 
in Revelation 12:4, we read, And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven. He did cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now, we'd have to go, that takes us back into the middle of the tribulation over there in Revelation 12. But we're not going to deal with that. But we want you to focus and see the, the beginning of the verse and his tail. It's prophetic. It's looking actually back now, telling us about what took place, what's already transpired. And he says, and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven. Now, angelic beings are often referred to as stars in the Bible. Let me tell you something. We're going to see here that these particular beings are virtually these these angelic beings that Satan deceived and Satan ultimately got to go with him in on this rebellion, in on this mutiny of the bounty. And before it's over with, he takes a third of the angelic host and he guides them and he directs them and he becomes their general and he says, let's go take the throne of God. May I say there's been a battle raging ever since. So we've noted the sudden downfall. But I want you to note that there's a struggle for domination throughout the Word of God. Satan is not content to allow God to rule and reign. He is not happy if you're serving the Lord. He doesn't want anyone to focus their praise and their glory and their attention on the God of creation. He wants your attention and he wants your worship. We begin in the Garden of Eden. Turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. Throughout mankind's history, this battle has continued to rage. We see it right from the beginning in the Garden of Eden. Chapter 3, verse 4. From the very moment that God placed man in the Garden of Eden, the tempter has slithered his way into the garden and sought to slither his way into the heart of man. His desire is to deceive and to destroy God's most prized possession. And may I say that God is very pleased to have created the earth. He's pleased to create all that is therein. But one thing he is most pleased is that he created mankind. And he is happy and loves mankind. He loves mankind more than all of his creation. He loves you. And before you say, well, what about his son? He is God. Jesus is God. That's simple as it is. And he loves you. Notice what he says here in the passage. And the serpent, this Lucifer who was cast down, said unto the woman, Eve, ye shall not surely die. Now we know that God had already told Adam, if you eat of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, thou shalt surely die. He made it perfectly clear. But now we have Satan who is a deceiver. He's being very deceptive here. He's trying to wreck and ruin God's plan. He's trying to focus attention away from God and back onto Him. He's trying to take the worship that only God deserved and put it back on Him. And He says, no, no, ye shall not surely die. Go ahead and eat the fruit. You will know things you've never known. You'll experience things you've never experienced. You'll be like God Himself. Just eat it. It'll be wonderful. And He's still doing that today, isn't He? But He was lying. The devil changed the word of God. He sought to plant doubt. And they bit. 
play on words. <laughs> they ate the fruit, right? So they bit on it. You're not with me today, are you? <laughs> Before it was over, man had fallen, even as the tempter had fallen. And you know, from that very moment, the world and man, again, would never be the same. We followed Satan into sin. God provided opportunity, however, <laughs> to reestablish fellowship. And he did that by a blood sacrifice. Man had stepped out of the, the presence of God, if you will, removed from the Garden of Eden even. But God had given him an opportunity to reestablish the lost fellowship that once they had in the Garden. Yes, sin had entered, but now he says, now there'll be a sacrifice and that blood will cover your sin. And what we go on to learn and understand is that it would be a picture of the Lamb of God who would ultimately come and shed his perfect blood and make final sacrifice that would not just cover but wash it all away. We see the garden. But we note the flood. God now says, okay, here's this way. This is the, how you get back to me. This is how you establish fellowship with me, through a blood sacrifice. But Satan is not happy still, and so the battle still rages. And we find just some years later over in the book of Genesis, chapter 6, verse 5. If you look over there, please. Genesis 6, 5. The Bible says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. I mean to tell you, God had provided them an opportunity to have fellowship with Him again, to enter into some sense of a relationship through that blood. Oh, we understand that it would not be complete until Christ came and died on Calvary and shed His precious blood. We understand that. But it covered their sin and enabled them to have a fellowship and a relationship with God. Hey, hold on. Devil's not happy with that. So it would not be very much longer that he would ultimately come in and seek to corrupt mankind all over again. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Satan had done his job to try to separate man from God. He goes on in verse 6 to say, And it repented the Lord that He had made man on the earth, and it grieved Him at His heart. It broke God's heart. And He came to the place where He even said to Himself, Man, I'm not even sure that, I would, that if I had to do it over again, I'm not sure I'd even create man. My heart's so broken. But we know that once again, God made a way, didn't He? Oh, the devil's fighting and the devil's seeking to destroy it all that God has created and to wreck and ruin the relationship between man and God. But in this particular case, God says to a man by the name of Noah, go ahead and build an ark. And before it's over with, there are eight people that are spared, eight people that continue the human race. And listen, we can fight all day long about nationality. We can fight all day long about race. We can fight all day long about our differences. But the reality is we all come from the same place. You go back far enough, we all end up out of those eight people. So eight human beings now. And God tells them that they're to have dominion. Dominion. 
But Satan doesn't want them to have dominion. He wants dominion. And so the battle still rages. The battle still rages. Until Satan finally deceives mankind again and they build a tower trying to reach heaven. Always fighting. Always battling with God. Always trying to take what is rightfully God's unto himself. Before we know it, we know he confounds the languages the Lord does and they go off into those different areas of the earth and they begin to develop and grow into nations. And then finally, God calls out a man about 300 years later by the name of Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, turn there if you would please. We see here in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will shew thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and will bless thee, and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. I want you to know, and we're going to have to summarize quickly today because of time, but the fact is is that this Abraham, of course, this Abram would be called Abraham. And we know ultimately that he would have a child by the name of Isaac. God was preparing for the Messiah. God was preparing for that one who would ultimately come by the name of Jesus Christ, who would take on the body of man but be all God. And so through the loins, if you will, of Abraham, the seed would come. And we see a battle raging between Satan and that seed throughout the Word of God in the Old Testament. We note that he's fighting and constantly bickering and seeking to destroy and to deceive and wreck and ruin the line of Jesus Christ. Because we know that in the end, God wants us to have fellowship with Him. God wants us to enjoy communion with Him. God wants us to enjoy a relationship with Him. And Satan wants nothing to do with that. And let me just say why. Because he knows if he can cause you to miss out on a relationship with God, it will break God's heart. And the one thing Satan wants to do is make God as miserable as he can possibly be. There is no better way to hurt a parent than to hurt their child. You say, I want to hurt a man. I want to hurt a woman. I want to hurt somebody. You hurt their children. You have a cat. You have a tiger by the tail. Let me tell you, God created the universe and God created all of mankind and His heart is to love Him. So for God so loved the world. He didn't send Jesus for just a certain group of people. He didn't send Christ for a certain uh, uh, nationality or certain uh, gender. He didn't send Jesus... For for a certain group of people. He sent Jesus for all of us. He loves all of us. And when Satan attacks the opportunity of mankind to come to Christ and try to, to wreck and ruin the, the line of Jesus Christ and keep the Lord from coming, it was a battle. We could follow this group of people who went in at 70 strong into Egypt. <laughs> And came out millions. 
and throughout their history, whether it's in Egypt or whether it's ultimately wandering in the wilderness 40 years into the promised land, whether it was with the, the, the uh, um, judges of like Gideon and Jephthah and others, whether it was the kings Saul and David and Solomon and right on through, there's always been a battle raging seeking to destroy, to subvert God's plan. Until finally Jesus arrives on the scene. And although even then Satan is still fighting. Even then like in Egypt he sought for all the baby boys to be murdered and killed. He does it again under the, the, the authority of, of, of King Agrippa. And he says listen let's kill all those babies in Bethlehem that are two and under. Let's get rid of them. Why? He didn't want to see Messiah come. He didn't want to see a king sitting on the throne of David. He didn't want to give up his power. Why? Because he was being ruled and, and, and pushed and supported by Satan himself. A battle raging. To keep Messiah from coming. To keep Jesus from ultimately being born. And to keep him from ultimately dying on a cross called Calvary. Shedding his precious blood. And providing you and I an escape. From the damnation that comes through sin. A battle raging. So they place him on a cross. The devil thinks he's won the victory. But three days later, Jesus raises from the dead. He's alive forevermore. The battle still rages. And I want you to understand today that Community Baptist Temple is not here simply to provide fellowship for people. This is not a social club. That we don't just get together for the purpose of enjoying one another and ultimately encouraging one another in the world we live. Although those are all things that are needful, all things that are necessary. They are not the priority and they're not the reason we gather. We gather because there is a battle still raging and Satan still wants to see men and women, boys and girls, die and go to hell. And it is our job as his children to reach out to the world and win them for Jesus Christ. And that's why we give our money. And that's why we give our time. And that's why we put forth our energy. Because there's a world that the devil is trying to sink. And Jesus is trying to help him swim. It's a battle. It is a vicious battle. And may I say today, the thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy. And he is still seeking to steal and to kill and to destroy. And tomorrow, he will still be trying to steal and to kill and to destroy. And next week, he'll still be trying to steal and to kill and to destroy. And may I say, as long as you live and as long as I live, until the day Jesus comes back and ultimately settles some things straight, even after that, he's going to lose Satan for a thousand years in the millennium. I want you to know there's going to be a battle to the very day God says, enough is enough. Satan, you're locked in your prison. Satan, you're cast in the lake of fire. Satan, you're gone forever. And the world now can have a new earth and a new heaven and a new body and a new, uh, a new Jerusalem. One day it will all be new. But until then, there's a battle still raging. Why do you think there's so many versions of the Bible? Why do you think there's so many divisions and denominations of churches all over the place and everybody wants to claim that it's God directing them and leading them? I don't care if they call their God Allah. It doesn't matter if they call him Confucius. It doesn't matter if they call him Jehovah. It doesn't matter what you call the God. The bottom line is, is that Satan is seeking to deceive and he's saying, listen, God has not said. No, God has his word. 
And it is in this book, the Bible. And we need to follow the God of the Bible. Not the God that's been conceived in our mind. Not the God that we make up in our head. But the God that is described and outlined in this book. And may I say the church's purpose is outlined and described in that book as well. And may I say your marriage and your roles and your family and your lifestyle is defined and described in that book. There's a battle that rages. There's a battle that's raging for your soul and for your marriage and for your home and for your children and for your nation. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to continue till the day we are with him. The battle still rages. I wonder today, do you know Christ as your Savior? You know what, if I, 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 I don't want to aid the devil. I don't want to help the devil in this, his cause. I don't want to make it, I don't want to help him to, to distract people from the God who created them. I don't want to help him to, to, to focus their worship and their attention on someone other than him, Jesus. I don't want to do that. I don't want to help him in his effort to dethrone or to somehow defeat God. No, I want to ensure that the God who created me and the God who saved me and the God who loves me is the one that I worship and that I adore and that I praise and I want to point people to him. And I believe you do too today. But I think we need to make a decision and say, I'm going to oppose the devil's efforts to gain the souls of men. I'm going to stand between the living and the dead. I'm not going to be a bad testimony at work because I don't want to cause someone to misunderstand what true Christianity is about and give God a black eye. I don't want to do that. I want God to look good in the eyes of the world. I want to be the husband I need to be. I want to be the wife I ought to be. I want to be the teenager I should be. I want to live the way the Bible says and the way Jesus Christ designed it because I want Him to be magnified, glorified, and adored by all mankind. I don't want to give Satan any fodder. I don't want to give him any fuel. I don't want to give him any gunpowder to blow God out of the sky. I want God to reign and rule. I wonder, are you lost today, though? I mean, have is it possible that you have never met Jesus Christ personally? And it is possible. In the world we live, all around us, each and every one of us, have to come to the place where we finally see that we're the sinner Jesus died for that we're the one He came to earth for, and that only He, and only He alone, can wash our sin away and take us to heaven one day. The Bible says, But as many as received Him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God. We have to receive the Lord Jesus. It's personal. It is personal. It's not enough if mom or dad are saved. It's not enough if grandma or grandpa were religious. It has to be you making a decision for Jesus and saying, Lord, I know that you are on that cross because of my sin. And I know that you love me enough to go there and that you willingly died for me. I asked you to forgive me and to save me. I asked you to come into my life and be my Savior. You know what he'll do? He'll give you a home in heaven. And he'll come in and dwell you. He'll live in you. And he will change your life. If you will yield to him. Will you say, I choose Christ as my king today? (laughs) 
I submit to his rulership. I submit to his dominion in my life. I want to be saved today. I don't want Satan to have his filthy clutches in my life any longer. I want to give myself to God. Father, we come to you. We thank you again, Lord, for your love and your grace.